Welcome to church. Good morning, Maple Grove. Okay, three people are awake. That's good. All right, let's take another coffee break, right? Now, uh, hey, welcome to church and welcome to a 2,000-year-old a revolution that has, was, and is changing the world. Uh, bringing light into the darkness, bringing hope to the hopeless, bringing meaning to the marginalized, freedom to the captives, healing to the broken, and belonging to the lonely. And welcome to week seven of our series, Becoming uh, the Church That He Intended. And I was very intentional about choosing the, the title for this message series. Um, uh, the word becoming implies that it's, a, it's an ongoing process, right? Both for us individually and collectively, right? Um, it, it, we're always going to be working on this, right? We'll never get to the point where we're everything that God wants us to be. Um, uh, the word church um, it implies that uh, we're talking about the gathering of Jesus followers who are his body, who are his temple, his flock, his family, his kingdom, his called out ones, the hope of the world. And uh, the word he implies that we're talking about our Savior, the Messiah, the Alpha and Omega, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's the one who's in charge and he is the one who all our efforts are about and all our efforts are for. He is, as Scripture declares, our cornerstone. And the word intended is in the past tense, right? And, and, and that implies that the issue of what we should be and what we should become as individuals and as a church has already been settled 2,000 years ago. Understand, our job is not to create what we think is good, what we think is right, what we think is convenient or comfortable, our job is to discover and commit ourselves to what Jesus says in his holy, infallible word about what he intended the church to be. Get it? Good. Now, it may at least on the surface seem kind of unnecessary for a church that's been around as long as Maple Grove, since 1887, to be talking about becoming the church he intended. I mean, after 132 years, you would think that we would have gotten ourselves squared away, right? But, but I, I don't know about you, uh, but I, I've been a Jesus follower since December of 1979. I, I was not born yet, but <laughs> that was an age thing. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, I, I still find myself having to continually go to this book to make sure that my life is actually aligned with and squared away with what God calls me to be as a Jesus follower. So the bottom line is that for me and you and for Maple Grove, that, that we, are work, we are a work in progress and how God longs for the day that that work will be completed. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your church. Open up our hearts and minds to what you have for us. Uh, God, just enable me to, to speak well for you. And God, uh, we know that there is an audience today, and it's not standing up here, it's not sitting out there, but it's in the throne room of heaven. And God, may we be an, a receptive audience to you and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was with his guys in the area of Caesarea Philippi, and, and he, he, he wanted to make a couple things perfectly clear to his disciples. He wanted to leave no doubt whatsoever about two things. Number one, who he is, that he is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God. 
and leave no doubt about what he came to establish, what he came to build. On this rock, on the truth that I am the Son of the living God, that I am the Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And so here we are this morning, July 7, 2019, in this room, 2,000 years later in Charlottesville, Virginia, part of the very same movement that began on that day when fire fell from heaven, when the sound of rushing wind filled the temple and the Holy Spirit was poured out, unleashing the new covenant and birthing the church. And listen, when the church was born in, 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 uh, in Acts chapter 2, uh, we see it bursting into existence, right? I mean, 3,000 people accepted Peter's message about Jesus and his gospel, were baptized, and the church was born, launching a powerful and unstoppable movement, and the world has never been the same. And so the question is, you know, what was it that, that fueled this movement? What, like, how did they do what they did? How did they become who they became? Well, the answer is found, I think, in the, the last six verses of Acts chapter 2. This is God's word. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Okay, so how did they do what they did and become what they became? What was it that allowed God to, to work in and through them in such powerful, extraordinary, and unexplainable apart from God ways? And why does God not always move like that in us? Okay, here's the deal. Here's the truth about us. We do want to experience what the Acts 2 church experienced. Uh, we want to experience everyone being filled with awe. Uh, we want to experience God unleashing his wonders and signs and miracles and unexplainable apart from God things. We, we want to see and experience authentic, radical community where we love each other with sincere hearts, rejoicing in each other's company and taking care of each other's needs, even to selling our possessions to help each other out. And we want to see the Lord adding to our number daily those who are being saved. Yes, we want to experience those kind of things. Like, does anyone in the room not want to experience that? But here's the bottom line. If we want to experience what they experienced and become the kind of people in church that they became, we must be devoted. And we get that word devoted, right? I mean, have you ever been devoted to a job, a career, um, ever been devoted to a, a relationship, to a hobby, uh, to a goal, a physical goal, an educational goal, a financial goal. We must be devoted to what they were devoted to, to experience the things that they experienced and become the kind of people that, that they were. And they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And, and, and here, here, here's the bottom line. We will never experience what the Acts 2 church experienced. We will never experience that, that, that kind of biblical awe and wonder without biblical devotion. Get it? 
good. And, and, and last Sunday, we unpacked what it means to be devoted to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. We must be devoted to prayer. We must be devoted to living our lives depending on God. Uh, devoted to bringing our prayers and requests to the throne room of the King of Kings. And how crazy it is, you know, that, that you and I have access and we have this privilege and we don't take more advantage of it. And listen, if, if we see praying to our creator, if we, see, if we see praying to the creator and sustainer of the universe, if we see that as, oh, I have to, rather than, are you kidding me, I get to, right? Then we so miss the point, right? I mean, anytime, anywhere, a Jesus follower, because of Jesus, can go into the throne room of God. Prayer matters. Prayer moves the hand of God. And listen, many times, as James said in James 4, 2, we do not have because we do not ask God. I mean, it's like God, God, God sometimes wants to, wants to move in our lives. He wants to move in your relationship. He wants to move in that struggle you're going through. But we never ask. So we do not have. We must be devoted to prayer. And, and we're trying to make prayer more and more and more real at our church at Maple Grove. And we must be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Which means not only must we read and study it, but we must be striving to live out its truth in our lives. You see, we are called not merely to read and study the word, but to do what it says. You know, this week, you know, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm listening to, I may have mentioned before, I'm listening to the Bible on tape, in addition to some other Bible reading, like when I'm walking around the lake or whatever. Yeah, and I used to call, used to think that was cheating, right? Like, oh, you just listen to the Bible? You're a cheater. You're a Bible reader cheater, right? I used to, I used to actually think that until I started doing it. Now it's good, right? <laughs> um, and, 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 but I'm in Joshua, and, and, and this verse hit me this week. Joshua chapter 1, and God is talking to Joshua. He's taken over from Moses. He's about to cross the Jordan. He's about to begin taking possession of the land that God promised to Abraham 600 years earlier. But look, look to the importance that God puts on the word in that conquest. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Why? So that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You're to recite it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you'll prosper and succeed in wherever you do. You see, see the importance? And listen, God has a land he wants you and I to live in. We have our own promised land, right? Jesus called it life in all its abundance, right? That's where he wants us to live. But, let, but we're not going to be able to live there unless we take the word of God with us, unless we're reading that word and striving to live it out and not departing to the right or to the left. And I would encourage you, you know, you know, if, if you're not reading the Bible right now, we have a new faith comes from hearing. That's on our website. There's little sheets here. It's a, it's a chapter a day. Sunday's your catch-up day. Um, and, and we call it condiment day. <laughs> um, I got a terrible sense of humor if you're a visitor. Um, actually, I think it's pretty good. But um, we're going to read three chapters of Genesis and then, and then three chapters of Mark. You'll be starting in Genesis 21. 
you know, Isaac is about to be born, and it's good stuff. Um, like Courtney said, this Thursday, we do it uh, twice a month, 22.15. We'll be surveying the books of, of, that Paul wrote, 90 minutes, you know, fire hose. You'll go away with the 25-page study notes to take with you. Um, we have D groups. Our elders have D groups. The ladies, I think they had a, they meet on Monday night, and they cooked something really good because I smelled it the next day when I came in. It's like... Is this a Chinese restaurant or something? Because I smell stir-fry. It's just smelling good. You know, our students have breakfast club. But again, for us to experience what they experience, to become what Jesus intended, we must, we must, you know, there's no exceptions. We must devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. In other words, they devoted themselves to each other. You see, the Acts 2 church knew that together was better. Question, are you, are you trying to become who you're supposed to be in Christ on your own? Has that worked out for you? By the way, it never will work out, at least not for long. Why? Because it's not how God wired up the system. You see, we were created for fellowship. In Genesis, on day six, after God created a perfect world, we read, then God said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. In our own image and likeness. What does that mean? Now, obviously, God could not produce him, reproduce himself and create another God since he's absolute and, and therefore unique. But God did the next best thing. He created people in his own likeness and image. And to be in God's image and likeness, Involves many things like being able to think, reason, plan, dream, feel, love, choose, create. Uh, but listen, I'm absolutely convinced that at its core, being in God's image and likeness is about relationships. It's about connecting and enjoying that awesome divine community, that amazing relationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit that existed before time even began, and connecting with and enjoying each other. And because this is true, God says in Genesis 2.18, and the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And know how we know this to be true. Now, there's a little book called The Elder Book. And in it, elementary school kids are, are, are given some of the world's toughest problems to try to solve. You know, how to uh, help people stop smoking, how to help the ozone layer. And here's one of the problems they were giving to solve. With billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. What do you suggest? Kalani, age eight, said this. People should find lonely people and ask their name and address. Then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address. When you have an even amount of each, assign lonely people and not lonely people together in the newspaper. The gift of administration, right? Max, age nine. Make food that talks to you. When you eat, for instance, it would say, how are you doing? <laughs> and what happened to you today? Match eight said we could get people a pet or a husband or a wife and take them places. <laughs> Brian H. Eight, sing a song, uh, stomp your feet, read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of these. With billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. What do you suggest? Uh, John Ortberg, in his book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them, writes the following in regards to loneliness. For centuries, some of the smartest grown-ups who ever lived have devoted themselves to this problem, this God-designed hunger for community. 
It's why Plato wrote The Republic and Augustine wrote The City of God. It's why so many of our stories are about longing to reach community from Odyssey to Walton's Mountain, from Camelot to Mayberry, from Friends to Boys in the Hood. It's why we attend church, join bowling leagues, and go on blind dates. It's why the single most remembered American speech of the 20th century was a plea for all human beings one day being able to eat together at the same table of fellowship, join hands, and sing a common song. Social scientist Gene Elstein notes that Martin Luther King Jr. captured the conscience of society because he was articulating not just his dream, but a human dream, God's dream. It's not good for man to be alone. And listen, according to a recent survey taken in 2018, uh, being alone or feeling alone is at epidemic proportions in our country today. Here's what they found in this study. Nearly half of Americans report sometimes are always feeling alone or left out. One in four Americans rarely or never feel as though there are people who really understand them. Two in five Americans sometimes or always feel that their relationships are not meaningful and that they're isolated from others. One in five people report that they rarely or never feel close to people or feel like there are people that they can talk to. I understand loneliness is a very real problem. And simply having a bunch of Facebook and Instagram friends, Twitter followers, and a lot of likes of your posts is simply not cutting it. And you know what? I'm really confident that most of us have been there and done that when it comes to this idea of feeling alone. But we really don't like to talk about it much or think about it much because loneliness, as Mother Teresa said, is the leprosy of modern society. And no one wants anybody to know that they're a leper. So Genesis 2, God looks at Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. Who will help him? Help him with what? Well, among other things, help him with this problem of, of, of being alone. I understand we all, every one of us, need people who care about us. People with whom we can relax and be real and be ourselves around. We need people who will encourage us, who will challenge us, who will support us, who will love us. We all need what I call three o'clock in the morning friends. You know, that person you can call at three o'clock in the morning and they say, hey, are you okay, what's up? Instead of, do you know what time it is? I'm trying, I just got to sleep, right? We were created for community because we're created in the image and likeness of God of the eternally relational God. Get it? Good. And we were recreated in Christ for community. Paul says in Ephesians, together we are his house, his family, together. Both on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Paul says in Philippians, we are in this struggle together. You see, God does not intend for us to live our Christian life by ourselves. It, it, it's not his desire that we go through the storms and difficulties and challenges of life on our own. That's why when you came to Christ, you did not just get salvation, you also got a family. They were devoted to the fellowship. 
And listen, it was not easy to follow Jesus in the first century. I mean, per- persecution was severe and it was widespread. They were suffering greatly like many, like millions of our brothers and sisters are even today. But the early believers, they weren't alone. And said they were bound together in, in, in fellowship and in community in a relationship. They were in that struggle together. And listen, it, it, it was in this interconnection with each other that they found their strength like the towering redwoods we see in California. Here's a picture. I've seen these puppies up close. They're like big, right? They're like the biggest living thing on the planet. And some can be 300 feet high. Some are 2,500 years old. And you would think that trees that high, right? I mean, there's like eight people there. They're only around half the tree. It's nuts. You would think that they would have roots that go down really, really deep, right? But they don't. It said they have shallow roots, but those shallow roots are interconnected. You see, these trees, they need each other in order to survive. So do we. Which is one of the reasons why Jesus created the church. A place where we can learn to live in deep and authentic community where we serve one another, accept one another, forgive one another, admonish one another, bear one another's burdens, are devoted to one another, honor one another, strengthen one another, teach one another, encourage one another, spur one another on, confess our sins to one another, pray for one another, restore one another, love one another. Understand, the church and authentic Christian community is the answer to the world's loneliness. And if that survey's even close to being right, that means that today there's over 100 million people in our country who are lonely, who are starving for that kind of authentic relationship. I mean, I wonder how many people feel lonely that are within a, a drive, within 30 miles, 20 miles, 10 miles of where we are at this very moment. They need what we have. They need what we are intended to have, authentic fellowship, supernatural family. And and, and Jesus said that it's our authentic relationships, our devotion to the fellowship, to our church family that is going to make the gospel real and let people know that we belong to him. The upper room on that Thursday night, right after washing their feet and telling them to do the same for each other, just mere hours before his arrest, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus wants to make sure that they understand to the depths of their very being that this new commandment, it's new because they now have a model to look at. It's new because they have a power inside of them to help them. He wants to understand that this commandment to love one another just as I loved you, is essential to the expansion of his kingdom and the spread of the gospel. So he tells them, love each other just as I have loved you. I mean, try to picture what his eyes look like when he said that. Try to hear the passion in his voice. Guys, I'm about to show you how much I love you. I'm going to be arrested for you, beaten for you, whipped for you, nailed to a cross for you. I'm going to bleed for you. I'm going to give up my life for you. That's how much I love you. 
And that's how much I want you to love one another. Yes, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Matthew, I want you to love one another that way. And when you do, people will know that you are my disciples. You see, that's what God wants us to be known for, how we love one another. Because as Francis Schaeffer said, Christian community is the final apologetic. Francis Chan, in his book that I've been tossing out, I do have another copy of the book. I give one out, one or so out a week. Anybody want a copy that doesn't have it yet? No takers. Jump ball. Who was first? Whoa! A lot of that was fake, but still. All right. A lot of... A third of that, oh, did you just walk in? I fell for you, baby. <laughs> That's my wife, by the way. Okay, so it's, it's okay to fall for her, all right? I hope. <laughs> hey, welcome to Maple Grove. If you came here to see somebody smooth up here, use at the wrong place, y'all, all right? That's definitely somewhere else. All right. <laughs> All right. Here's what, here's what Chan says. Uh, one thing the New Testament makes clear is that the church is supposed to be known for its love. Jesus says our love for one another is the very thing that will attract the world. But can you name a single church in our country that's known for the way its members love one another? I'm sure you can think of churches that are known for excitement or powerful preaching or worship or production value. But can you name a church known for its supernatural love? When the phrase one another is mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament, love one another, care for, pray for, admonish, why is it that you can't think of a single church known for the way that they take care of one another? God clearly, clear, God clearly cares about this. Why don't we? He continues, as elders at Cornerstone Church, we ask ourselves whether people would notice supernatural love when they walked into our gatherings. It was not that we were void of love. It just didn't stand out. Honestly, the love in our midst was a far cry from anything that we could attribute to the Holy Spirit. It was, is it just a nice cliche to say the church should be like a family? I mean, it's a great thought, but unfailing, but our families are our families. Does God really expect us to be this close with people we're not related to, who we wouldn't even choose to be friends with? I agree that it's naturally close with your family and unnatural experiences with people who are not like you. But that's exactly the point. It's not supposed to be natural. It's supernatural. They were devoted to the fellowship. And listen, nothing in the world compares to authentic, sacrificial Christian relationship. It's such a beautiful and powerful thing. To become the church they intended, we need to be devoted to the the fellowship and and, the Uh, That's why we have life groups at Maple Grove and um, encourage everyone to be a part of it so that no one has to do life by themselves. Because, you know, like I said, sometimes the things I'll say during the series could be uncomfortable, and here's something to make you uncomfortable. Um, You know, I don't know if, if all you have is 90 minutes a week, every now and then here, I don't know if you can be devoted to the fellowship, right? 
If all you have is coming to church on Sunday and no contact outside of that 90-minute gathering, it's very hard to be devoted to the fellowship. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And, and we don't want that to be part of it, right? And so you can sign up on your connection card. We can get you plugged into a life group. And life groups are made up of imperfect people who, who are sharing life together, pursuing God, and wanting to, to invest in others. And finally, uh, as we wrap up, and this will lead us into you know, communion as well, um, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Uh, they were devoted to communion. And, and, you know, as I reflected on this, you know, like it, it makes a lot of sense to me that being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, and to the fellowship are like really, really a big deal. And, and, and like, yeah, communion's important, but is it like, you know, is it in the same league as those three things? Is it that big of a deal? Or was it a big deal to Jesus? Well, it must have been, right? I mean, right after washing their feet shortly before his arrest in the garden, as they celebrated the Passover meal, right? A meal where they remembered, that, where God delivered them from Egyptian bondage. We read this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I pass on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, uh, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I understand, Jesus said that we're to do communion in remembrance of him. And, and like, so what does he want us to remember? And I believe that among other things, I, I think he wants us to remember these four things. To remember how he lived. He lived humbly, purposefully, powerfully, passionately, and relationally. Uh, remember, remember why he died. He died to set us free. He died to pay our debt. He died to destroy death, sin, and the grave. He died to demonstrate the radical, unfailing, beyond reason, reckless love of God. Remember what he said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is finished. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I am coming back to get you to be with me forever. Remember what he prayed in the garden? My prayer is not for them alone. I, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. There is again our love for one another. It is our greatest apologetic, our greatest testimony. I give them glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. And then the world will know that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember how he lived, why he died, what he said, and what he prayed. I, I want to read a quote from Alexander Campbell. Um, he's one of the founders of the Restoration Movement, which Maple Grove is a part of. You can Google that, check it out. Just a group that formed in the 1800s. Hey, let's go by the Bible and call ourselves Christians. Um, 
It's a good quote. I mean, some of the language may be, there's some thighs in there because like it was 200 years ago. But here's what he writes. Upon the loaf and upon the cup of the Lord in letters which speak not to the eye but to the heart of every disciple is inscribed, when this you see, remember me. Indeed, the Lord says to each disciple when he receives the symbols into his hands, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. The loaf is thus constituted a representation of his body, first whole, then wounded for our sins. The cup is thus instituted a representation of his blood, once his life, but now poured out to cleanse us from our sins. To every disciple, he says, for you my body was wounded, for you my life was taken. In receiving it, the disciple says, Lord, I believe it. My life sprung from thy suffering, my joy from thy sorrows, and my hope of glory everlasting from thy humiliation and abasement, even to death. Each disciple, in taking the symbols with his fellow disciple, says in effect, you, my brother, once an alien, are now a citizen of heaven, once a stranger, are now brought home to the family of God. You have owned my Lord as your Lord, my people as your people. Under Jesus the Messiah, we are one. Mutually embrace in the everlasting arms, I embrace you and mine. Thy sorrow shall be my sorrows, and thy joys my joys. Joint debtors to the favor of God and the love of Jesus, we shall jointly suffer with him that we may jointly reign with him. Let us then renew our strength, remember our king, and hold fast our blessed hope unshaken to the end. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Amen. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. And the communion is a big deal, and that's, that's why we do it every week at Maple Grove. But truth be told, it, it may not always be a big deal to us when we do it, right? Uh, we just may just run through it, right? Um, like, uh, it, there's times I run through it, right? And don't think about what I'm doing. Listen, as we consider the cross and look around this room, we should be asking ourselves, am I willing to love the people in this room just as Jesus loved me? And that sounds probably impossible to most of us, right? That that's what Jesus asked for and what with the power of the Holy Spirit we're to be striving for. I mean, just imagine if Maple Grove was made up of people who would literally go to the cross for one another. How could people, how could the world shrug their shoulders as they witnessed that kind of love? They could not, they would not. In fact, they would be drawn to that kind of love. Okay, let's wrap this puppy up and take it home. To be the church he intended and to experience what they experience. Everyone filled with awe and wonder. God moving in miraculous ways. God adding to the number daily those who are being saved. This radical community, we must be devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the prayer, and the breaking of bread. And, and you know, something hit me as I was working on this is that you substitute just one word in place of all those four things that were to be devoted to. And it's the word Jesus. They were devoted to Jesus. I mean, think about it. The apostles' teaching is about Jesus. Our prayers are to go through Jesus and are in the name of Jesus. The fellowship is centered in and with Jesus, and the bread and the cup represent Jesus. You see, the early church was devoted to Jesus, 
And the proof was their ongoing devotion, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the prayer, and the breaking of bread. And here's a huge question that you need to answer. Not on paper, but in your heart. Will you do whatever you need to do in order to take your devotion to these four things to the next level? I guess another way of wording that, you know, is Jesus worth your devotion? Is Jesus worth your devotion? Jesus said to do this in remembrance of me. We're going to sing a song um, about how our joy, our hope, our peace, our confidence, our life is in Christ alone. And as we take communion today, I, I, I pray that it just be, is real special, that you remember how he lived, that you remember why he died, that you remember what he said, that you remember how much he loves you and how much he cares about you. Would you guys stand and pray with me? Our communion is off to the sides. We have stations there, and, and you'll find in there we have a, uh, there's two cups. In the top cup, you'll find the cracker, and the bottom cup is you find, you know, is, is the grape juice. We collect our offering there as well. Father God, we love you. And Father, I just pray that right now that we would just worship you. And God, I pray that today, you know, and every time, but especially right now, because now is what we have. That we remember that right now you're with us as we take communion. That remember this body, your body was broken for us. That your blood was shed for us. That it's in you alone that we have our hope, our confidence, and our peace. In Jesus' name, amen.